Thanks for joining us for another Contemplate episode with Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we're going to see Paul tried before Festus and then Agrippa. And as usual, Paul takes every opportunity to talk about Jesus. Here's Pastor David. Last week, we had talked about Felix, if you remember. Felix and Paul. Paul goes to a trial before Felix. The Jews accuse Paul. He gets moved to Caesarea before the governor, Felix, and there's, and there's all this uh, accusation that's coming against Paul, and so they have kind of a trial there, and uh, remember, Paul had sort of escaped these guys who wanted to kill him. Uh, and so we were going to lie and wait and kill him. So he's kind of safe, but he's still in trouble and he's arrested. And they have this trial. And after this trial, um, Felix doesn't make a decision. But instead he sort of talks to Paul and Paul talks to him about a few things. If you recall, he talks to him about righteousness, right, and the coming judgment. And so those were the things that Paul talked about Felix about. And Felix was scared. He was scared. And he didn't uh, respond in faith to Christ. Instead, he responded in fear. And so that's the last couple of messages that we've had, the last couple of studies that we've had. And, and then we saw at the end of chapter 24 that Felix was ousted. Okay? He was, he was taken away. He did not do a good job. He allowed some bad things to happen. And they got rid of him. And then we had a new person come in named Portius Festus. Portius Festus comes in uh, to be the, kind of the governor of the same area that Felix was, and Paul is still in jail. He's still under arrest. Two years he's been sitting there when Festus comes in, okay? And so this is A.D. 59, 59 A.D. We know that because we know when Portius Festus came in, so this is one of the places where we can date very accurately where this history comes from. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to chapter 25, we're going to try to get through a lot of Scripture today. Now, before I do that, I want to tell you about uh, just a little story about my friend Willie Roach. Um, Willie Roach and I were in law school together, and Willie used to pick me up every day before school because I was too cheap to drive, um, and he lived kind of near me, and so he'd come in, he'd get me, and we'd drive over to law school together. And at the time, there was a Newsboys song out um, that, that had some words in it that said, Come, O Lord, and fill up my life with a light of your presence. This is my heart's desire. Father, come and let your spirit abide. I long for your presence. This is my heart's desire. Now, as that song would play, and it was, it was new at the time, um, but we would blast the music, turn, you know, the windows, and it was cold in Virginia in the winter and whatever, but we'd, the windows would be down, and Willie and I would just be pouring our hearts out. Just at the top of our lungs, we'd be singing to the Lord, asking the Lord's Spirit to come, asking him to abide with us and to fill my life. I had actually only recently fully come back to the Lord at that time in my life. I had walked away and, and found nothing but sin, darkness, death in that, and I come back to the Lord, and I was so excited about the forgiveness that he had given me, and I was just, I was amazed by it. So we would just, like crazy people were just yelling, we're just yelling out the car, and the feeling that would overcome us of just joy you know, I mean, it's fun to sing loud, regardless of what you're singing sometimes in the car, right? But this is something different. It was something different in kind. There was, there was an internal feeling of joy. There was an internal feeling of connection with the Lord that was something special and that you can't really explain. And, and why is that? What is it about the life of a believer where moments like that can happen? What is the thing that's different about life in Christ? Because when I'm not walking, when I was not walking with Christ, those moments didn't happen. But life in Christ, I had those moments. It's not because everything in my life was so great. Things were okay, right? 
but they weren't so great. It was just this incredible feeling. It was this incredible understanding as I asked for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, so why is it that those moments are possible for the believer? I want to talk about that a little bit today. Why do we get to experience that kind of joy? Unspeakable, indescribable joy. And so something Paul says here in the scripture we're going to study today clues us in as to what's happened to make that possible. And so we're going to get through a lot, or Lord willing, we're going to try to get through a lot of Scripture, and I'm going to move kind of quick. We're going to try to go through two full chapters here, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about that part of things I just talked about. So if you are in chapter 25, we're going to start at verse 1. It says this, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So he's coming to Caesarea. He's taking over Felix. We don't know where he's from. We actually have very little historical evidence about Portius Festus's early life. We do know that he was in Caesarea at this time, but before that, we don't really know where he came from, but he came in. And of course, one of the first things he wants to do, because he's reigning as governor over this region of Judea, he needs to go see the leaders of the Jews, right? He needs to get in with them, because one of the problems in this region, as we've talked about, is there's all this revolt, Right, these people who are not happy with Rome, and there's always this threat of sedition and revolt. So, of course, the best thing for this guy as he's coming in as a new governor is to go meet the Jewish people. So he does. After a few days, he goes to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So first, we see that the, that the leaders of the Jewish people, two years later, are still so worked up about Paul that when the governor comes, that's what they want to talk about. They still want to talk about Paul. That's how upset they are. That's how angry and against the message of Jesus Christ they are. But they're still thinking about Paul. And not only that, they're still trying to ambush and kill him like they were the last time. Two years later, I don't know if it's these 40 guys, remember they had said, we take a vow, we won't eat or drink anything until we kill Paul. Well, they can't still be alive if they kept their vow, right? Because it's been two years. And I can tell you, I can't go two minutes without having something, right? And so there's no way that those guys are still alive, but we don't know who this is exactly who's waiting to ambush and kill him. But apparently the chief priests are in on this and they're saying, bring Paul from Caesarea back to Jerusalem where we can try him. And of course, their intent is to kill him on the way. All right. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. So he's inviting them. He's saying, no, I'm not going to take him here to Jerusalem. He's got to stay in Caesarea. Of course, that would have been the Roman law. To, to move Paul, a Roman citizen, back to Jerusalem would have made no sense. Um, and so he needed to be tried in Caesarea. But he says, go ahead and come with me and you can accuse him there. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. So, by his answer, we can tell that basically what the Jews are accusing Paul of is sedition, right? That Paul is causing trouble, right? The kind of trouble that would cause riots, uprisings, sedition. That Paul was against Rome somehow. Because they know that if they really want this guy, Festus, to do anything about Paul, they've got to make it, they've got to make it hit home for him. And of course, he's going to be very concerned about sedition. So that's the type of thing that it sounds like they're accusing him because Paul's saying, I haven't done anything against Rome. 
I haven't done anything against Rome. So the suggestion is that they've accused him of that. You remember, if you've been with us, what they accused him of originally, right? That he's causing trouble all over the Jewish world. That he's, that he's causing, you know, riots. He's causing difficulties. He's just been, he's been a plague, right? He's been difficult. And they accused him of profaning the temple that he had brought into the intercourse of the temple, a Gentile, which he had not done which he had not done. Of course, they were not able to prove these things. They didn't have any witnesses. It's pretty clear here that their case was weak. But, according to verse 9, Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Festus still wants to get in the good graces of these Jewish leaders, even though he can tell as we saw here in the scripture, that the things that they're saying can't be proven. So to do a favor for them, he's saying to Paul, Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried? Which seems kind of weird. It's like they just tell him what he has to do, right? Except that as a Roman citizen, Paul would have had the right not to have to go back to Jerusalem to be tried, but to be tried rather there in Caesarea, okay? So that's what they said. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you very well know. For if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there's nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Paul is saying, no, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. He's not dumb. He knows. Remember, he was the one who his, his nephew had told him they tried to kill him last time. He's not dumb. He knows if they're still upset about this, it ain't going to go away. And so they're probably going to try to kill him this time, which he knows not only would be bad for him, but it would also be bad for whatever Roman soldiers were escorting him who might get hurt or killed also, which is going to cause a huge, huge problem and going to cause big, big, uh, you know, battles between the Romans and the Jews, which he doesn't want that either. So it's not even only just for himself, but he is smart enough to know, I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. Now, this is Paul's right. He has the right to appeal to Caesar. And if it's not unreasonable, Portius Festus basically has to grant it to him. Okay? Now, I don't know why he didn't do this earlier. Maybe he realizes, okay, you know, Felix didn't let me out, but maybe this next guy will. He sees the guy's not going to, that he's kind of placating the Jews. And so he goes and says, all right, I go to Caesar. And we won't, don't forget that Jesus had told Paul, he had told Paul that he would bear witness at Rome. So Paul knows he's got to go to Rome one way or the other. Apparently now he knows he's going to go in chains. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to preach Festus. Okay, King Agrippa. You may remember from, we've been talking about Herods and Agrippas and whatever for a long time in the book of Acts. This King Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great, and the son of King Agrippa I, who, if you'll remember back that far, was eaten by worms and died, okay? He, he, the people started worshiping him as a god, and he didn't tell them to stop doing that, even though he knew better. And God was like, okay, dead, and he died, okay? That was this guy's dad. Now, this is some years later, and he's now a king, and Bernice is not his wife, but his sister that has come with him, and they've come to greet uh, Festus, because, of course, Festus is the new governor to the area, and King Agrippa is like this client king who's in charge of some of these areas, not actually Judea, but some parts of the area around there. And so he comes and wants to make buddies, as these, as these you know, wealthy uh, leaders would have done at the time. Okay, so that's why they're there. When they had been there for many days, 
Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, who Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, that's Caesar, that's just a name uh, that, that gives honor to Caesar, the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Okay, what's going on here? First of all, you've got to understand something about Agrippa. Because Agrippa is from this region, um, uh, you know, from Jerusalem and so on, he is very aware of the Jewish customs, laws, and so on, traditions. Not only that, Agrippa has actually been given the right to name the high priest in, in Israel. So he, so he is not unaware of these things. So when Festus is talking to Agrippa, it's because he doesn't know what to do with Paul. He doesn't know what to make of all this. Festus is clearly unfamiliar with Judaism, with Christianity. I'm not sure what part of the Roman Empire he's from, but he's confused by this. And of course, Agrippa knows lots about this. And then you see him saying, look, Paul's, they're talking about some person, Jesus, who, who they say died, and Paul says he's alive. You know, once again, he, clearly one of the things he's taken away is the centrality of the gospel message that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's, of course, confused about that, right? People don't rise from the dead. And so he's confused about that. He brings it to Festus and Festus, I'm sorry, to Agrippa. And Agrippa says, I would like to hear. I'd like to see what this guy has to say. Okay, you get to hear him tomorrow, he says. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. This is interesting. Not only does he have Agrippa and Bernice come in to see Paul, he actually brings all of these other people in the city. So this would have been um, people that were the same rank. If you remember the commander of the garrison at Jerusalem, there would have been a couple guys like that that were of that rank, and then some of the, sort of the leading prominent men of the city, he brings them all around, which is interesting because if you remember in the book of Luke, Jesus says this, he says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. So the Lord's prophecy here is coming true as Paul is before kings, the king, the ruler, the governor, and all of these other prominent people, and he's going to get an opportunity to talk about Jesus in front of all these people. It's an opportunity to witness, to give his testimony. And so that's where we are. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. 
I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify not to specify the charges against him. So he's literally so confused about why Paul is there that he doesn't even have anything to write to Caesar as he sends him there, sends him there for appeal. Right? So Paul would just show up and he'd be like, what are you in trouble for? Nothing. All right, all right, go ahead. Right? He has nothing to write. And so he's actually having Paul, part of what he's doing here, part of what Festus is doing, is having Paul come out and talk before Agrippa so that Agrippa can give him some idea of what's going on so he knows what to write when the guy goes to Caesar. All right, so then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. You know Paul likes that. When Paul gets told he can speak, he's generally going to comply. So we're in chapter 26 now. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So he's saying, listen, finally, I've got somebody in here who isn't one of the Jewish Sanhedrin type leaders, but understands Jewish law, has some expertise in what's going on, and you're actually going to get to hear me so that somebody can make sense of what I'm about to say. I'm actually happy to be before you for that purpose, Agrippa. That's what Paul is saying. He says, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand in them judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, the 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? So here's where he's starting now. He's saying, hey, listen, Agrippa, I'm a Jew. I am a Jew. I'm a Pharisee, the strictest sect of Jews. And so I'm not coming from some weird place. This isn't some strange cult. I'm a Jew. I'm still a Jew. And it's actually for the hope of the Jews that they are persecuting me. And here's where, here's where things get turned around for somebody like Agrippa or for somebody like the Jews in the Sanhedrin. The hope of the Jews, they thought, was in somebody else. A Messiah to come. Of course, a Messiah, the one that they wanted. A warrior Messiah. A Messiah with lots of big swords who was going to cut up all the Romans and give them prominence and so on. But Paul saying, no, 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 no. That's not what the hope was about. The hope is all in Jesus. It's simply a matter of interpretation, Agrippa. These people, you know the Old Testament, King Agrippa, right? These people are saying that, that our hope is in this thing over here. They don't understand it. And I'm saying our hope has come, lived, died, and risen again. That's what Paul is saying to Agrippa. So do you believe that? Is your hope in Jesus who died for your sins and rose again, proving everything about him was true? I sure hope so. But if you're still not sure about all this, have questions, or we can help you in any way to find new life in Jesus, call us at 360-885-9000. Or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. Even better, come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get directions and all the info you need 
at actschurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out the next episode for much more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.